Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, hello there, and you join us here today to talk about watch collections. But not just any watch collections, but the collections of a real-life Navy SEAL. If you're looking for a watch to take on tour, or just a watch to wear at home, you will find one at watchfinder.com to buy, sell, or trade. Well, as it happens, Tom and I, um, we for a few brief moments came back together again as good friends, but you know how these things go, they don't last. And it's all gone to pot. So the only way to resolve this now is to bring in the armed forces. Mr. Rob Huberty, how are you doing? I'm having an amazing time. I'm a, <laughs> a big fan of you guys, and it is, a, it is a surreal experience to get to this. Thank you. Surreal and also slightly disappointing, I hope, considering the general uh, look and feel and, and budget of this production. <laughs> No, this is this is amazing. This is amazing. Since we started showing ourselves on camera, I think the disappointment has sunk in a bit. <laughs> it, was, it was way better when I could just see your hands and I imagined what you look like. <laughs> that's what that's what everybody's been saying. <laughs> Everybody, you should switch back to just the hands. <laughs> I am well aware I do not live up to the expectation. But there you go. It's a metaphor for life disappointment <laughs> hopefully not disappointing will be our chat today because rob at one time in your life you were a navy seal a navy seal that's pretty nuts it was pretty fun <laughs> how did you decide that you wanted to be a navy seal uh so I, I think the truth is that i read too many books and i watched too many movies and comic books and i thought that they were real so you know i was uh maybe a child of the 80s and, you know, you watch uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie and you thought that, like, Commando is a real thing that somebody could go and just, you know, do whatever that was. I read too many comic books and had uh, a sense of, like, what a hero is supposed to be. Um, so all of those things, you know, growing up, seeing that stuff, um, you know, maybe I watched too many uh, movies where Michael Bean starred as a Navy SEAL. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a lot of that stuff had, like, a big impact on me. And, and like the Vietnam guys and then, you know, the NASA program and that kind of stuff. Like I grew up on that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be Batman. I think everybody, you know, when you're a kid, you want to be Batman. There's no such thing as a superhero. And uh, to me, that that was like the closest thing to it. But the uh, the impetus for really to go into the SEAL teams for me was 9-11. Um, that had a profound impact on me. And I mean, that's, that's why I wanted to serve my country. And... Then, I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, and going to like Catholic school and like have the ideas of, you know, both Catholic guilt and to make the world a better place. And, you know, you read books and even other stuff like I read like To Kill a Mockingbird and like Atticus Finch had like a huge impact on me. And so how, how can I be, uh, 
a warrior or whatever um, and, and make the world a better place. And then, um, and we, we had good PR then, you know, you, you watch Jesse the Body Ventura, you watch uh, Red Dick Marcinko books, you see uh, uh, Under Siege, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Stick and Seagal. I don't yeah. know, like all that stuff had an impact along with like, you know, some of the books written by the actual guys. There was a Vietnam book, The Men with Green Faces, that was actually a fiction book that I thought was real. So all of these things, when it was time to be like, I want to serve my, my country, um, the SEAL teams seemed the obvious choice and uh, our PR has only grown subsequently. So, Well, I would like to today to separate some of the fact and fiction because being a very discretionary uh, organization, for the most part, we all learned about this. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we all learned about the SEALs from film or certainly what the film's portrayal was in the uk our our military uh, introduction really was through people like biggles we understood the the uh, armed forces to be a place to have long wavy scarves and, and goggles and stuff a little bit different in the us um but also you're here because you're a big watch fan and i'm interested to know which came first the seals or the watches so the watches, but it was all for the same kind of reasons. So uh, when I was a little kid, um, you'd watch those movies and, you know, in Commando, you know, he's wearing a Seiko in that, isn't he? Uh, the, the Arnie in that, and it's cool. And then you watch all these movies. I mean, you watch James Bond and James Bond is, you know, the same kind of thing. Like no, no one has ever been James Bond. It doesn't exist. Those are like five separate jobs into one, but he wears a Rolex, right? And then... Later, he wears uh, an Omega. And all of those things, like, I thought that that stuff was really cool. So I, was, I always wanted that. And when I was a little kid, I, I would get, like, swatches, um, you know, growing up in the 80s for a Christmas present or something like that. I thought they were really cool. And I felt like watches did something more. And it's, I don't know, I just, I always thought that stuff was cool. And it kind of sat with me. Um, I, I was very intrigued by pilots and race car drivers and Steve McQueen and, uh, Paul Newman, all that stuff was like left an indelible mark to me at a young age. And maybe I was just brainwashed by, you know, whatever the <laughs> ideal version of a hero is or the rough and, you know, whatever it is, like that stuff started. So like, I always thought watches were really cool. And when I was a kid, I had, you know, cheaper watches, uh, you know, Timex Indiglo. I thought that was the coolest thing ever um, when your watch would light up and yep. I would wear that kind of stuff in high school. And I don't know, I just... They were really fun, and for some reason, um, I have become a, a watch weirdo, and I, I watch you guys pretty much all the time, and uh, I'm trying to be quiet about it because it's pretty bizarre, but it turns out in the military, there's a, a lot of other watch weirdos, and there's a huge heritage of it, and that stuff was very real, and a lot of the heroes that I had were like the, the Vietnam era seals were like the, the first books that I read, and when I was a kid, you know, it was after Vietnam and what those people were and what they did and the missions they did, it was secret, it was cool, and... Rolex and Tudor are very strongly associated with the SEAL teams. There are Rolex wearing uh, barrel chested freedom fighters. You know, that, that was like <laughs> the stereotype. And, you know, Tom's Clancy's without remorse. All, all this stuff just like perpetuates that stuff. And, like yeah. my trusty Rolex by my side. And uh, it was a knuckle buster. You know, you'd be like, how, how do you punch a guy with a Rolex? And so that, that they, 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 Why they, would they, you they, do it? 
Well, they say that in uh, in the James Bond. It was like, I could also use it as a knuckle buster. And I'm like, I still don't. Is that brass knuckles? So like you wrap the watch and punch somebody with your Rolex? That must be what he meant. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, that's what he said. Like I, I want, in a multiple books, he said it. And you're just like, okay, cool. And then you see in the movies, you see Sean Connery lighting a cigarette and cool. And I don't know. All, all of that stuff left an indelible memory. And then like the advertising in, in the back of my school, we kept National Geographic stacks um in the catholic school i went to and so you look at them and you see the old ads and because they're just collected dust and you know they, they let you look at them because they were you know relatively educational really cool pictures and adventure stories and rolex advertising those pretty heavily even though it was like after my generation i would you know i would see that there was uh national geographic from like the 60s and 70s in the classroom you'd see the rolex ads and think you know they would see that and i'd watch Tom Selleck and uh, Magnum PI, all that stuff is like, I don't know. I, it just left something on me, so I liked them. I mm. thought you were going to say in the back of your school, they had copies of like Oracle Time and things like that, all these watch magazines for <laughs> no, no particular definitely, reason. Definitely not that, definitely <laughs> not that. So by way of an introduction to people who haven't watched any of the films or read any of the books you're talking about, why don't you tell us a few things that are true about the Navy SEALs and perhaps some of the things that people think are true about the Navy SEALs and are actually just fiction? So the the first phrase, there's a ethos, the SEAL ethos, and what they say, it's a common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm about 5'9", and I weigh 170 pounds. So I'm not, uh, I was small, I was small size in the SEAL teams. But uh, you don't actually look like Batman. And I, I would say there's actually like a, uh, a worse correlation if you do. Um, now, guys, when, like to get through training, it's really tough. Guys get bigger afterwards, but uh, like while they're active duty. But I, I would say it is people who have a, uh, a very high determination and, you know, they're soldiers, you know, whatever it is. We're SEALs, so it's uh, Sea Air Land. It was started by... Uh, JFK officially, um, and he was a Navy guy, and they, you know, they they started the Green Berets and the, the SEALs, basically seeing a need. And honestly, they stole it from a lot of the Special Forces stuff was stolen from the British, from the SAS. So the, the SAS was like really the first, you know, special operations kind of force that uh, that everything did, and a lot of American Special Forces are stolen from the UK. They mentioned in training that really is about testing your determination. What is it that they do to do that, to weed out the rest? And what watch would you wear whilst doing it? So uh, you're not allowed to wear a watch while you do training. And, and quite frankly, you would destroy even even a G-Shock. You would destroy doing what they what they do. It would, it would, it would be ripped. Like, they just make you do, uh, you know, exercises to the point of uh, almost crippling. Um, it's, it be, you know, they, they, we call it getting beat, but people aren't hitting you in the face, but, uh, you know, you do stuff like log PT. So it's basically like telephone poles that you do in a boat crew. And I would say, you know, the reasonable amount of working out that you could do with that telephone pole would probably be like a 15 minute workout and you'd be crushed. And then they do it for three hours to the point where like you're bleeding, um, you know, your skin chafes off. Um, and then it's, it's so bad that people who joined to be challenged, just quit in the middle of it. Um, and, and so they do that for the whole, all of uh, basic underwater demolition slash seal training called buds is, uh, is about six months long. And it's, it's basically just weeding people out, 
Um, at some given point, it switches to training, but even while you're learning stuff, they're kind of weeding you out. And then after that, they give you the skill set. So um, they make you pretty tough. And uh, you do it in Coronado, California, which is uh, pretty much paradise. So there's there's a, a beautiful hotel that's like historically beautiful that you do a lot of the training in front of the Hotel Del Coronado. And so like people watch you being like, why are you doing this? And so every day you'll be probably hypothermic and every day you'll, they'll work you to basic exhaustion. And then there's, there's a culmination exercise early on called hell week that, uh, I don't, being a Navy SEAL didn't live up to the, the thing. you know, I wasn't on a, a secret mission that I could never talk about. And it's, uh, for my whole life, hell week's pretty close though. It's pretty bad. And then you, you run with a boat on your head, uh, in a, in a team, and I would say that like the, the whole week, you know, let's say it's 160 hours or whatever. I don't know. Uh, you, that boat's on your head for, I would say, at least 50 hours. And that's for real. Like, I, I think some, it's absurd and like you're you're pretty much catatonic by like day two. And you just you have to keep going for like four more days. <laughs> it sounds terrible. I'll be completely honest. Oh, it's so awesome. It's so perfect. <laughs> you get to do it with you get to do it with with friends and you know at some point you're joking with people while you're doing it it's miserable and you're delirious and you're like yeah. <laughs> passing out almost like running it's great i'm still friends with all the people that i did it with i'm there's just i was privileged to be amongst amazing people i can't imagine there's too much more of a better bonding experience than bringing yourself to the brink of death with a bunch of guys um so when did the first watch marry with your navy seal career so this one right here oh, of course i mean it makes the, perfect sense of course it's a g-shock the casio g-shock so the when you're going through training you have a class and it starts up with about ours had maybe like 350 people to start um and only two people would get to wear a watch of any given type and you, you, they would, it would just so that you were on time to the location that you went. So the, the officer in charge and then the leading petty officer. So the leading enlisted person, the most senior person, the most senior officer, the only people in the whole thing to wear watches. And somewhere, once they decide that you're actually going to make it through, they would let you wear a watch. Um, so that, that's somewhere maybe in third phase of training and they give you, there's periodically points where they give you like good equipment because in order to torture you and, and to find your worth, they're not giving you the, uh, the high end gear. Um, you're, <laughs> you're dealing with, you know, basically garbage. And I, I would say like what they use now is probably better than what I use. Right. Cause I did this 20 ish years ago, but, uh, the, when they issue you the G shock, um, that was a humongous indicator. And this this is actually the first one that I was issued. I, I There was other ones that I wore that I broke because um, when you dive and stuff like that, they would give you other G-Shocks to use that you would borrow. Mm -hmm. um, but so this was mine. So this is, you know, maybe five months into the training cycle or something like that. Now they would give you G-Shocks when we were going through our dive phase, but you didn't get to keep those. So those were borrowed. So our second phase is our, uh, our diving phase. And so uh, you, you learn to scuba, you learn to, so you, you get qualified on that. And then they, they take you to a pool and they do a pool comp and pool competency. And mm -hmm. I mean, they, they do hit you in that. So like they hit you underwater, they tie hold, uh, your air 
they, they assault you in the water. Like it's pretty, it's pretty extreme. So the way that I learned, you know, my PADI or NAWI certification is a little bit different than others. It was, uh, <laughs> and, but when you actually go do real dives, you would get to wear like these G shocks. Right. And, uh, it's just funny that, uh, guys, like you would see guys in town wearing them and you could kind of determine whether someone was a seal or not. And there, there's a, a look, uh, I could identify it and just what like what people in like special operations look like. Um, and the SEAL teams, we kind of go for a homeless chic vibe. Um, so in the military, you know, it's, it's, it's short haircuts, it's shaving every day. And in the SEAL teams that you can't get crazy with it, but like you try to not shave or get your haircuts. You'd see guys in town, you know, with sleeve tattoos and a Casio G-Shock and like too much facial hair and their hair is a little too long, but not so long. And then like, you're like, I want to be that guy. And, uh, <laughs> And so like you would see people wear G-Shocks or Garmin's or Suntos and, and you would strive to be that person. So this was, uh, this G-Shock was, uh, you know, worth a lot to me and still is worth a lot to me. And I wore it for a good bit of my career too. Um, Cause that's, you know, I couldn't afford something super nice, but, but that, so this is the first watch. And then when I graduated uh, Buds and, or SQT, which is the next school, and they actually like pin the trident on your chest and you get to have your family show up. Um, my parents bought me a, uh, an Omega Seamaster. And so I, I wore that on graduation day and uh, that was like my first nice watch. Um, I was gonna say the, the G-Shock, is, there, is, that, um, is that a sort of readily available like universal release or is there anything special that denotes that one as um, a seal issued watch? So there's a funny, uh, that reminds me of a funny story. So in second phase, we are supposed to turn all the watches in one day that we went, we lost one of these watches and uh, maybe somebody took it because they thought it was cool and they, they wanted it. I, I, no one knows where that watch went, but somebody had owned one of these in their barracks room. And if, if gear is missing at the end of something, we got absolutely destroyed. So I think sent you pictures of us doing like push-ups with like uh uh, scuba tanks on there's like a picture of me like just getting destroyed and, uh i think we're getting jocked up and it's a, it's there's like if you play basketball you play a game of horse and every time you miss a shot you get a letter and so if you're if you're bad and buds in second phase they uh putting your gear on we get it call it getting jocked up and uh j-o-c-k-u-p if you spell that out then it's bad They'll make you like <laughs> go do like a, a, a very long run with your Drager on with like in the soft sand. Like it's terrible. You have like a bad like three to five hours in front of you. And so someone took one of these watches and we got destroyed. And then it magically reappeared because someone brought their personal watch in. And then we painted a number on the back of it that matched the number. <laughs> so there's there's nothing, nothing special about this. Uh, very replaceable. Uh, but this one's special to me. Yeah. Amazing. And then I actually have I have a watch that my the watch that my parents gave to me. I still have so this Seamaster they engraved on the back of it. They put my name and my Buds class number on it. So nice. Uh, uh, it's Buds class two five nine. The last hard Buds class. They're pretty much all a joke from then on. <laughs> that's 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 a joke in this. You always say that your Buds class is the last hard one, and everybody else is is like a pretender. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they seemed like two very hard-earned watches. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You had to queue up for hours for a swatch, didn't you, Andrew? 
that's the hardest i've ever worked <laughs> so with, with the seamaster did you did you keep that for best or did you ever wear it in service so this one I kept for best, right? So I, I don't know what it was. You know, it was the first nice one that I ever had. It's the chronograph, but it's basically like the the bond, uh, the Pierce Brosnan bond, basically. But uh, when when you, so for the most part, a lot of my deployments I wore Casio G-Shock, um, the first two. The the Navy does uh, reenlistment bonuses, so like you can end up getting paid pretty well, you know periodically um, through your career if you uh, re-enlist. So I did a re-enlistment and uh, you get a big check. And so, you know, as being, you know, a type A, you know, crazy person who's doing that, usually people, that's the time you buy cool toys. I mean, if you're smart, you buy something sensible, you, you know, put a down payment on a house or something like that, but I'm basically an idiot. So uh, the I, I bought a Rolex. People buy like motorcycles or off-road vehicles or, you know, cool toys, boats, or whatever it is, sweet guns that they want for their personal self, like whatever it's, that's, you know, that, that is the special thing for you. So I got, I bought a, uh, a Rolex. I was going to get the, uh, the Submariner just because of the heritage, but I got the deep sea. So I bought this watch and this was, uh, I decided that I was going to wear this as the same way that I wore the G-Shock. And so I did. So this one stayed on my wrist for, I probably wore this most every day for about 10 years. I wore this in skydiving. I wore it scuba diving. I wore this in combat missions. I've been in a bunch of gunfights in this. I've been in terrible tragedies in this that I'll never forget. Uh, I've, I wore, you know, I've banged this on Humvees. I've scratched this up. I broke the pip on it. I, uh, and I wore it until it stopped. It took about 12 years for this watch to just stop. And then I got a service it's still good. Um, then when I got out of the military, I wore this for the birth of four of my kids, my marriage. Um, th this, this meant a lot to me and I bought it in a mall. Like there's nothing necessarily special about how I got it, but like the, the memories that are attached to this, um, you know, it's the, the same reason I love watches. It's not necessarily unique to the SEAL teams. There's, there's a lot of people who are really into watches, um, mm. but it is uncommon to wear them in combat and people are like, what are you doing? And they're like, I don't know. It's cool. They're like, there's better watches to do that stuff with. They're like, I know, but it's not as cool and it makes me feel good. And so whatever. Uh, that's really interesting that you say that because one of the questions I had, obviously you've been put through very harsh conditions, been physically tested uh, to the extreme. And uh, a lot of watches kind of brag about their specifications, don't they? They boast quite, um, quite well, mil-spec quite often, some some watches will say. So, I mean, you probably have more experience than most. Right. Like, what do, do some of these watches live up to some of the things that they say they can do? Or do you find that once you get to a certain point, they, they all just crumble into dust eventually? <laughs> I mean, the 12 years that you spent with that Rolex seems like it's done pretty well for itself. Before it has. I, I, mean, I think I was lucky in, in some of the regards. I had it insured if the crystal breaks, you know, whatever, I, I would repair it. And that was like what was in my mind. I, mm -hmm. I have flooded, I think I've flooded or destroyed five G-Shocks. Um, right. So I, I treat those very differently, though, than the watch that's on your wrist. If, yeah. if you destroy a Rolex that's on your wrist, like you probably have other problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? Like, it's a stainless steel watch. It's fine. It's just, sure. you know, it's it's both a piece of jewelry, but still useful. 
But I, I would say that uh, very often in special operations, uh, we like to go away from mil spec stuff just because it's very heavy uh, and it doesn't necessarily, I think kind of everything disappoints in the terms of function. A lot of times civilian really? off the shelf kind of stuff is better. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, Garmin watches that can tell you your elevation, your density altitude. Like if you're a sniper, you shoot uh, the, the ballistic, uh, how your sniper rifle shoots changes by elevation because the air is thinner and then when barometric pressure comes through that actually ch effectively also changes the altitude that you're at so like your watch can tell you where you're at so like you where you aim and like how you dial your gun it's it's a better tool but there's also like weather tools that i bring like a kestrel tells you all that stuff and mm -hmm. you go out before missions and do that so like you could have that on your wrist but you know i was a little precious about wearing a rolex because i thought it was cool so i just had a different device, you know, GPS stuff. Also you can do through your watch. So like that kind of useful stuff mm -hmm. makes more sense to wear a Garmin. Um, as long as the Garmin doesn't talk out and has signals. So they make military versions of those, right. but like light is right. We want to be nimble and quick and be faster than the enemy. So the mil spec stuff I think is oversold. I would also say that I am unequivocally a shallow water diver. I'm not, yeah, right. I, I'm the deep sea, the deepest, like, like you do bounce dives to train, but like we dove very shallow. And a lot of that is because we breathe O2 and not, uh, not like mixed gas. There are, there are special SEAL teams that do uh, uh, deeper dives and they do mixed gas and go, and that's totally different. But like a Drager, which is, uh, you know, a common thing you, you don't, if you dive 40 feet, like that's, you have to like stop your dive eventually. Like what well, uh, pure oxygen becomes toxic, uh, at, under pressure. So like you're diving, not, not super deep. So like the plastic watches would survive that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Were there any watches that you included in your collection during your time in the seals that didn't cut the mustard? Uh, I mean, I certainly wore the, the watches that were, like Suntos, um, I, I, I wore those and I, I definitely melted some of those from like using a blowtorch on it. The bezels would break off that. So like Garmin's and all of those things, you know, the, the GPS watches, I definitely broke a lot of those. Um, the Casio G-Shock, when you put on the, uh, you know, we thought that that was too bright. And what I didn't know about a Casio G-Shock that you guys probably do, when you peel these things up, one of the things that makes them tough is they put spacers in them, like teeny tiny spacers all under like the rubber plastic. And when you take that off one time and then like the things fall apart, kind of like there's more pieces than they, when you <laughs> took it apart and you put it back together, you have more pieces or like, geez, I don't know where this goes. And that's, those are just yeah. spacers to, uh, to absorb shock when, when you end up taking those out. So we would put like a, a coating, like a red brake light on it just to, to, to mute the color. So you don't ever sort like, you know, if you're in the, in the middle of the night and you're like sneaking up on somebody and then a glowing, like you can see the thing like a hundred yards away. Um, yeah. And we want to be sneaky ninja frogmen. So, uh, you know, we <laughs> cover it with like that. And then you, you basically break your watch by doing that. So I definitely, I wanted to be a sneaky peaky ninja. So uh, you, <laughs> you cover that and basically destroy the watch. But like, I, I definitely like, for some reason, the bezels on a lot of those like uh, Garmin watches I broke off and they're not designed for, uh, you know, idiot frogmen. 
Sneaky Ninja Frogman. I think that's a good band name. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned um, a few kind of specialisms there within the SEALs. Did you have a specialism? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a couple. I, I ended up, uh, I was a sniper. I was a breacher. Um, so a breacher opens doors so that you can do that with explosives or like uh, quickie saws, which like can cut like concrete and metal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, chainsaws just to, you know, just cut a wood door open or something like that. Um, you know, you learn to use like sledgehammers and stuff just to kind of get in. And then you can do exothermic, which is like blow torches. Um, and I was at JTAC, a joint terminal attack controller, which is you talk to the airplanes in order to drop bombs on something, somebody has to be on the ground. So like you have to be able to talk to airplanes and that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, the GPS and that kind of stuff is probably more helpful, but I, I had a hand GPS and I would do that. But So JTAC, presumably getting that on time is very important. Right. Um, did you rely just on your wristwatch for that? Or did you have, uh, uh, what do they call it? Redundancy? Uh, so there's a, there's redundancy and like you're talking directly. So there's, there's different ways to do that. Um, but like th there are GPSs that you're allowed to use and not allowed to use. Um, I'm sure that's probably different now, but like civilian GPSs you weren't allowed to use to actually laze a target and timing because the, the, those are GPS guided bombs and stuff like that. But for the most part, you were talking to a human um, and they're talking to you and you're trying to describe a, a situation to them. You're like, Hey, I would like you to drop a bomb on this thing. There's bad guys shooting at us. Can you see them? And they're like, no, I'm, I'm in an airplane at, you know, 800 miles an hour above your head. You're like, cool. All right. Now we're going to talk about where I want the bomb. And uh, so a lot of that stuff, like the, the time didn't necessarily matter. Um, and then a lot of that, like when you're really relying on time, it's a lot of backup. So like what we did do, which I think was interesting, is we used to do time hacks. So everybody is in a room before a mission. You don't do it every single time, but like you do it often. And we're like, all right. The, the leading person in the room be like, I have 10 o'clock in you know 30 seconds. Everybody, it's going to be 10 o'clock in 30 seconds. Yeah. And so everybody synchro synchronized watches. It's a, you know, and they count down, you know, so they give everybody like a full minute, get your watch ready. So everybody has the same time before you go out on a mission. And theoretically you're like, all right, go time is at, you know, 13, you know, whatever, 1300 or whatever. Oh, 100. It's in, in the middle of the night, right? We're going to, breach at that exact time but you would really do it over the radio you like if you're really relying on time that means like your radios are down and all that kind of stuff so that all that stuff's backup so you know i felt confidence rolling with a rolex uh you know my plus my plus or two my plus or minus two seconds <laughs> i was gonna be okay yeah <laughs> yeah hey guys wait oh <laughs> never mind so when you synchronize watches everyone would be synchronizing different watches or they'd all have their own right yeah. right and uh i what was funny uh, very often in the military there'd be uh you're supposed to be five minutes early so every now and again somebody would synchronize the watches to the wrong time and it would be early they're like i'm always early so everybody go off my watch and you're like but shouldn't we can use gps time isn't what like then you just be five minutes early honestly that <laughs> happened all the time and you're like why are we this is so stupid and I, you know, I'm kind of a natural dissenter, so I was, uh, I was not a, probably not that great of a military guy. Um, <laughs> with the, the whole uniform and vibe thing. Luckily, the SEAL teams are also not super into that. But uh, the we, we would how we would synchronize watches always bothered me. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, I used to do that when I, you know, when you wake up a bit blurry eyed and you had to catch the bus, you glance at your watch <laughs> and be like. 
oh no but then you remembered later that right, you right. set it early <laughs> oh that's right i'm, I'm early it's okay it's <laughs> So some of the other watches that your fellow Navy SEALs were wearing, what did you see? Was it mostly G-Shocks? Did anyone else have a sneaky Rolex here and there? Absolutely. So there, there, there is a culture of Rolex. Um, there's even a guy who started his own uh, watch company, Robert E. Smith. He has his, the, the Resco watch company. So he, I think the rumor has it, he took an entire enlistment bonus, like $100,000 and bought like a Patek or something with it. So he was a maniac and he, he has his own watch company and started it, I think, which is pretty cool. Um, there's just a culture of it. There's actually a guy uh, who's a CIA case officer uh, who does a website called Watches of Espionage, um, which is awesome. And basically he, he writes articles about basically the culture of like special operations and the sneaky Rolex that people wore, like I, I knew the, the, the dog guy in the Bin Laden raid has an, uh, an article cheese uh, of like him wearing a Rolex on the Bin Laden raid and like the Sabarnany road. And there's a cool article that you'd follow on watches of espionage. And like, I, I knew him when I checked into the teams and that kind of stuff. And like, just, it, so I, it wasn't unique to me, but it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't uncommon, but it wasn't like hundred percent of the dudes are rolling around with, you know, ridiculously expensive watches but you know a, a, a dude here or there in platoons would wear stuff like that so it's and then the history of it just guys you know back in the day where rolex tutors were issued yeah yeah okay so there's a there's a connection to that heritage there it's not just you guys are absolutely blowing all your cash on richard meals and patek philippe's and no we can't afford we can't afford quite that but the, the rolex we'll blow money it'll be bad you know we're not uh <laughs> We'll be parted from our money pretty easily, if as long as it's cool. <laughs> what are some uh, standout moments from your career with the Navy SEALs? So now I'm, I'm remembering it. We had talked about this previously, but when I went through training, uh, one of the weirdest things of all time happened. Um, we trained with none other than the Tag Heuer ambassador himself, Tiger Woods, um, and then a Rolex ambassador, <laughs> right? Well, with the whole boat on your head thing. No, he didn't do any of that. So later on, we did uh, SEAL qualification training, which is more, uh, they teach you actually how to be a SEAL, a soldier, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you do shooting. And, you know, in order to be a really good shot, you just shoot a lot and you have great instruction and you go slow and you just do it again and again and repetition, basically in life. Anything to do that, brilliance in the basics, so you do that. So we were doing our shooting training and our, you know, how do you clear rooms? And for some reason, for about a month of my training, Tiger Woods was a part of it. Do you have any reasoning for that? Uh, so I, a lot of it is his background and his dad was a Green Beret. And I think that he was at a crossroads and he was, this was like two, between 2005 and 2006. And he was as famous as a person that walks this earth. He was friendly to us. My, my roommate, uh, was the biggest Tiger Woods fan in the entire world. And at one point, you know, he's just like, hey man, can we get a picture together? And he was nice enough to take a picture and that picture was washed out and didn't come out because at that time, you know, we actually had to develop film and stuff. Uh -huh. And so it was, it was pretty devastating. But my my friend did uh, right after that buy a Tag Heuer, a Carrera. <laughs> the marketing works. <laughs> right. He's, he's, he's a deep sea guy though. So he's Rolex and uh, I guess I, I, I don't know, maybe I copied Tiger after that. Uh, unbeknownst to me, but uh, that was pretty strange. Yeah. So, post Navy SEALs, you made it through. 
You decided you didn't want to do that all the way to retirement because you're not entirely crazy, but you're still a little bit crazy. So you still carried on collecting watches. How has I, that gone for you? I did. So I, I've gotten a lot more into it. So I, I got out of the military because uh, my wife was pregnant and I, I wanted to start a family. And it's it's just a tough thing to, to do that. So I'm now like eight years later, I have four kids. Um, I went and got, uh, I went to business school right afterwards. So I, I went to Wharton for my MBA. And then, uh, you know, I worked for two years at Amazon and now I started my own company. And some, you know, it took a number of years, but I got back into watches. And so now I've always collected tool watches and I was able to get, you know, some of the watches that I had dreamed of owning since I was a little kid. Like the, you know, the, the Pepsi GMT, you know, like Tom Selleck, sweet mustache, you know, rolling in Hawaii in a Ferrari and a, a GMT, uh, you know, like I'm still hoping to drive somebody else's Ferrari, you know, and live in their house. But, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, you know, I got way more into watches and, uh, honestly during that period I was watching, you know, you guys and, and videos and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people on YouTube who are a little bit more reasonable, who don't shout at everybody. And, uh, <laughs> the, you know, I just, I've, I've learned to really love, uh, a lot of stuff. And, and, and so I, I was able to collect some more of the Rolex watches that I really always dreamed of having. And I have a little bit of a collection, but, uh, I've gotten into it even more recently and like just weird things have happened. And now, now I'm into like Moser. I own a Moser right now. So that's what I'm wearing right now. Streamliner, so that's pretty cool. Smoked nice. salmon. The smoked salmon that uh, doesn't look like smoked salmon at all, and I'm pretty sure it's a joke. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that there's something so cool about watches that is uh, time, I think, is our most precious thing that we have in this life. Time with our families, time doing the things that we care about. And a mechanical watch kind of reminds you of that. And time is kind of different for everybody. Sometimes time moves really fast. Sometimes it moves really slow, but it's the same. And it's kind of cool that you have a mechanism on your wrist that through your movement will always keep that. And it keeps it a little bit different for you than it does someone else. And it's highly personal. And it reminds, you know, every time you look down at it, it reminds you of, you know, where you are, the, the time that you have on this earth, that like your time is different than everybody else's, how much you get to do. And there's something romantic and beautiful about it. And when somebody makes a tool that's beautiful, that's personal, um, there's something romantic about it. There's something awesome. There's something personal. And I, I really think that that's cool. And so I, uh, you know, I like, I like watches and I've met friends through watches that I never thought I would have. Um, it's super nerdy and, uh, you know, I let my nerd flag out there and I've met a bunch of really interesting people. And by talking about it, a bunch of like military veterans are like, dude, I'm in watches too. And a lot of people have reached out to me on that. And I think that's like super cool. And I didn't know that. And like a lot of, like my friends all knew I was into watches, but when people reach out, like, dude, I didn't know you were into this. Like, yeah, I'm a maniac and do it. Like, I don't, it's, it's like a debilitating disease. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. You mentioned, um, the, the precious nature of time and you've decided to use um, your time after the Navy SEALs to do something quite incredible with Zero Eyes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I went to a middle school in Connecticut that uh, was called Chalk Hill. It got renamed Sandy Hook Elementary School. So that was like one of the worst shootings that has ever occurred. It was little kids. 
and it's basically like my hometown. And I I went to school in college with kids who were in the Columbine shooting. So that was another like the when that happened, that was the worst one. And uh, I got married in a in a courthouse that I that had a mass shooting. And these things have happened in the United States and kind of hit me personally. And so. I got out of the military and I worked for Amazon and it didn't really scratch the itch of me doing something bigger that mattered more and kind of living to the standard that I want to live to of having purpose and making the world a better place. And the the kind of gun violence in schools that we have seen, uh, you know, where some maniac goes and shoots things, uh, I, I have not been satisfied by what we have done to contend with that. So a few of my friends also from the SEAL teams, we started a company called Zero Eyes. And we look at your existing video cameras and we say, if there's a gun out exposed, um, we'll let authorities know. And, you know, sometimes that, that could be benign. That could be somebody who's legally carrying it. Fine. No problem. But, uh, you know, they're notified. But if, if, if it's a malicious actor doing that, we can give time before shots are fired and at least mitigate the situation by letting people know exactly where they need to go or by, you know, reducing the entire thing, you know, potentially preventing it. Because if you knew that, because a lot of these people are deranged and it's mental health problems and the Uvalde shooter, which was a, a terrible one more recently, he was on camera for like 30 minutes before he ever pulled the trigger. And if we do these, you know, like our company's whole mission is to reduce gun violence and we're going to do it when, you know, these deranged individuals show their gun really early, which is again and again and again. And we're not going to stop doing it. It's a mission. We're going to, you know, our company's growing really big. We do it mostly with veterans, military veterans, people who care, people who are going to see something to the end. And we're going to do it in a way that doesn't invade your privacy. We're going to do like, because we don't, it's like the cameras are already there and we're just using AI to look at that and verify it with a human and operation center. We do it all in the U.S. We do it all with the monitoring is like, military personnel, um, people who understand that situation so we can de-escalate things and hopefully make the world a little bit better, um, make the U.S., uh, you know, I, I love my home, but there's embarrassing problems and I want to solve them and I'm going to spend my my time to do that. And so that's what we do at Zero Eyes. It's incredibly admirable and, um, you know, it really falls into the the mindset of if you want something done, to do it yourself and you and you you really have done that it's quite incredible that's it well there you go that is the life of a former navy seal watch collector and generally all-round hero i think it's not, let's not get crazy here i don't think that's crazy at all i think it is an incredibly admirable thing to do um you could just spend your whole time browsing uh watch catalogs instead but you choose to spend only some of the time browsing watch catalogs just a little bit <laughs> Much to the chagrin of my wife. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really do appreciate you doing that and sharing your amazing stories and uh, your watch collection as well. Um, if you're a listener, if you have any questions for Rob, pop them down in the comments below and uh, maybe we'll bring him back if he wants to come and we'll go through some of those. Thank you so much for watching. Please do like and subscribe as well. And uh, check out watchfinder.com for your next purchase, including you, Rob. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.